When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. You know, if you're a coach out there and you see things differently, don't think you're wrong. And you see things in a different way, don't doubt yourself because you might find yourself in a room with people who have had careers. You know, don't doubt yourself. Um... The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Now listen to the Coaches Network, a podcast aiming to bring people at the heart of coach and player development together. My name is Coach Yas, a UEFA A licensed, FA Advanced Youth Award and FA Goalkeeper B licensed coach. With over 10 years of experience working in youth football from grassroots right through to Premier League academies, I'm currently operating as an affiliate tutor for the FA alongside working towards a Masters in Performance Football Coaching. Today I'm going to be joined by my co-host and the Coaches Network Analysis Specialist, Coach Ben. Ben is a UEFA A licensed coach who holds the FA Youth Award and a Masters in Sports Coaching, with 10 years of experience including working across the male and female youth development pathways, alongside a vast experience on individual, player and team performance analysis. And as part of our Insight series, we'll be joined by a range of individuals working across multiple disciplines within the coaching world in order to explore their journeys and dig deeper into their experiences so that we can leave you with some golden nuggets to help you reach your full potential. Right, welcome back, guys, to another episode of the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Ben. And today we're joined by a very special guest, Mark Robinson. Mark Robinson is professional development phase lead coach at AFC Wimbledon. How are you today? I'm good, thank you, guys. Thanks for having me on. Brilliant. Oh, thanks, thank you for taking time out to be with us. Right, Mark, you know, I'm going to get straight into the nitty-gritty of it. You know, I wanted to know a bit about your coaching journey. Where did it start and how have you got to where you got to? Right. Um, well, if, if we go from the beginning, um, I'm a, I'm, I mean, I'm a big believer, to be honest, if, if you're someone who loves coaching, you know, and, and it's kind of in your in your blood, then, then your, your coaching journey starts very, very early. Um, so, you know, I, my, my, my family were, were all football crazy, so... Um, from a young age, you know, we'd go and watch the team that we supported. So from six years of age, I was, I was watching football from every other Saturday as, as a six-year-old with my family because my mum used to go as well. So, you know, a lot of young players now, and it's something that I don't see happening very often is, is young lads going to watch football live. So in that respect, it started really early. In terms of actual coaching, when I, I got released from Fulham as a youth player, um, I had injuries and I ended up getting a job up uptown for the Performing Rights Society. So my other passion was music. So the Performing Rights Society deals with royalties in music. So I, I, had, um, I, I was enjoying the job, but football was all, always my love. And um, after a while, I got involved with the football team there. They used to train over Regent's Park and they every season they used to play the Dutch version of, of what we did basically and they used to get happy every year and um, I got to the stage where I could run around a little bit and they said would I coach them because they were due to go over to Holland 
and play at the old um, Ajax Arena, which was the Demir, which was their old stadium. And as I said, they always said, like, would I do some sessions? So for about four weeks, I did some sessions. Um, I'd already done my prelim when I got released from Fulham, but I hadn't really coaching because I had this, this job. And um, yeah, we went over to Holland. I managed to get through 45 minutes myself and we won 4-2. It was the first time they'd ever won. And um, and I just remember the feeling that the lads were having from winning and, and the Dutch guys were kind of saying, you know, how different it was. And, and I just thought, well, maybe I can do this. You know, maybe this is what can replace playing. You know, and I got that an unbelievable feeling from that day. And then um, there was a gap in between. I started coaching at boys' clubs. But the problem was I had this really good job uptown now and I was earning good money. I had two young kids and it was... So, you know, I sat down with my wife and she sort of said, well, you know, why don't we start our own business? And that might give you the chance to own coach because she was working, didn't really enjoy her job. And at the time, it seemed like an easy thing to do, but we, we borrowed a substantial amount of money and we opened, opened up like this children's venue. And... Um, and after a year, it started to work really well. And that, that kind of gave me the chance to look into coaching even more. So uh, I was doing some stuff with Crystal Palace Community. And then purely by chance, I bumped into a friend of mine I hadn't seen for years called Tony Wilson. He was at Fulham when I was at Fulham. He was a couple of years older. And he was coaching the under-9s at AFC Wimbledon. And, um, and he said, why don't, you know, why don't you come down and do a session? So I went down and did a session. And that was it, really. Um, I stayed with those boys. That was grassroots football then, because Ashley Wimbledon were in the Ryman Prem. Um, and I started with those boys, and that's how it started. That was the, I was a volunteer coach at under nines. I, I got spotted later by the guy who set up the whole youth structure about three years later. And then he ha asked me to completely restructure everything, ready for if AFC Wimbledon ever got back in the Football League. So... Um, you know, that was it really. I mean, it sounds quite simple, but the pressures of setting up the business and giving up a job when I had two very young children were, were immense. But I wanted to do it so badly. Um, you know, that's what led me to do it. It's all paid off, it has, hasn't it? It has. <laughs> and it's quite funny now because, you know, I have young coaches come along and, you know, and, and they say, oh, I want to coach so badly. And, you know, and sometimes, I, you know, I try and talk to them about, you know, the dedication you need. And at the time, you know, I didn't realise because it was just something I wanted to do. But, you know, kind of when I've talked to people about what I did and, you know, really I was putting my family on the line in many respects because if the business hadn't worked, I, I don't. I mean, I was earning more money 25 years ago than I am now. So, you know, it was a massive gamble. But mm. but when you, you, you want to do something so badly, you, you'll do anything to do it. So, yeah, it has paid off. Yeah, it has paid off, thankfully. Brilliant. You know, I just want to, you know, it's a massive thing that you've just said there in that, you know, if you've really got a, I guess, a belief or a, you know, a really real desire or passion to do something, you should need to kind of just roll with it and just accept that, you know, there might be some risk element to it, but, but what, what in life doesn't have any 100%. risk to it? No, and, so def definitely, I think, some positives on that front in terms that people can take away already. Um, just, you know, just talk a bit about you've gone into, you've gone into Wimbledon, you've got, you, you know, helped them set up the, I guess, the academy and that. What was that, what was that like? When, how, how did that start off and, You've worked your way up to now becoming the lead professional development phase coach. Um, you've been doing that for a, 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 you know a number of yeah. years now. What you know, that journey been like for you? Where would you say that you know you really I guess felt the real passion for maybe working with slightly older players? Yeah, 
uh, well, as I said, I had, the, I had this group of under nines, um, and and the, you know all the all the all the teams there at Wimbledon, you know, were playing Sheen Tigers, Exeter Eagles, all, all those sides in the Surrey Youth Alliance League and um, or Surrey Youth League, and um, I was really fortunate because the, the the guy Tony, he, he he kind of he was like the first mentor I'd had. He was a little bit older than me. And he put no pressure on me because I had all these ideas. I'm sure, like coach has, you see how you want to do things, and and he put no pressure on me. It was only under nines football, but he just let me go and run with ideas that I wanted to go with, and that was an incredible feeling because he never questioned anything. He would ask me why I was doing. It. He never made me feel uncomfortable. So he was a massive part in in my development, really. I mean, he's gone on to be very successful in business. Um, he. You have that feeling of of you can run with ideas without someone you know really questioning. So there was lots of little things there that you know that that age group had real success. So under nine, under ten, you know they wasn't successful in terms of winning because I had a very clear way of how I wanted to develop those boys. Um, I'll give you an example. You know I used to get the goalkeeper to mark the centre forward if the centre forward was going. You know so mm. I want so and we used to lose games because of that. But I wanted them to try and play and play possession football, and and it was like a complete education progress with the parents because you know they'd lose a game three two or four three, and it'd be because their centre forward had skipped round the goalkeeper at the end. And I was trying to explain to them, you know, we've got to keep looking at the bigger pictures. We, we want to make these lads better footballers. And then um, they got to eleven aside, and and they went three years where they won a hundred and four successive games, and they were English champions. And we never talked about winning. It was always, you know, the different processes around developing, really. And then, as I said, I got spotted by the guy who kind of run the, the youth section there at Wimbledon. And, and he said, look, could you take the youth team? We need to try and get coaches in and try and run this like a centre of excellence if we can. Um, so, you know, there was no curriculums. There was nothing really. So from scratch, I started writing everything up, trying to bring in some coaches um, from outside and it was tough because you had you know like some of your listeners I'm sure working in grassroots football we had these fantastic people giving up their time working with their lads but he, he, he kind of he didn't want parent coaches anymore so it was really tough because they were all such good people but I had to explain to them I had to try and get in outside coaches and um, and then yeah. fortunately you know the, the the first team kept getting promoted and eventually got back in the football league, and then we were kind of ready to go centre of excellence status. But um, but the biggest thing was was the values that we worked under. Really, um, it was so. I'll give you an example that that team I had that were English champions, they were wanted by all professional clubs. My goalkeeper was wanted by Chelsea at the time when he was 13, 14. Centre midfielder was wanted by Aston Villa. Um, and all the rest of the lads, Brentford were after, but they stayed with Wimbledon, even though they were paying three, I think it was about £300 a year to play, and we were playing grassroots football, they gave up that chance of playing other professional clubs because I kind of sold them a, a dream of what Wimbledon was going to be, and that's I think the biggest thing I've taken from coaches, that you have to have a value behind what you're doing, um, and, and, and you look at what those lads give up, and fortunately, four or five have gone on to have you know careers and got pro contracts, etc. And and that and it snowballed from there really. So I set up the under eighteen structure, 
and then filtered right the way through. And as the first team got promoted, I then become academy manager. But then that changed with E-Triple P because academy managers couldn't coach and coaching was my passion. So then I was head of coaching. And then it's changed again because E-Triple P meant you got funded for head of coaching. So that was an opportunity to give Michael Hamilton, who's now academy manager, give him a full-time role as head of coaching. So then I become head of football. And, and it's just snowballed like that, really. I've always been the youth team coach up until the last year um, when I've moved up with the first team. And it just snowballed from that, really. So it's just been a constant progression. And just in, in regards to that, what sort of... You were there from the get-go where you had to kind of instil this um, whole sort of new philosophy and, like, you know, build the structure of what is now Wimbledon. Like ASC Wimbledon's academy, yeah, yeah. Um, talk to us about the sort of process that you had to go through with that. So, like, how many of you were involved in that? And um, I can imagine that now the philosophy has probably changed from how it was initially. Anyway, like, uh, what sort of things influenced the changes that you guys had to do? Uh, in in regards to like, you know, the playing philosophy and coaching philosophy that you guys instilled initially. Okay, I think. If I'm honest, Ben, I think the word philosophy is overused in football in terms of playing. Mm. No, I think I think it's something that's been invented in football to make coaches look more intelligent. <laughs> yeah. I, for me, philosophy is your values. Um, you know, uh, so the first thing it was quite easy, really, because you look at AFC Women and the foot as a football club and what it stands for. So the first thing, really, making clear what our values were going to be. As, as a youth structure, um, you know, and, and that wasn't tough because the club obviously had come from from nothing again. So, you know, our values were all based around hard work, honest, honesty, humility, never say die attitude. And then once you've got your values in place, then you start talking about your your, your playing systems. And, and the only reason I don't use the word philosophy with playing is because that, that it, they've all been regurgitated over time. There isn't that many different ways of playing. You know, you mm. you either like to play possession-based football or you play counter-attacking football and off the ball. You either you either play a high press or you play a mid-block or if you're not particularly good, you might play a low block. But, you know, <laughs> I don't... I think people get carried away with, with playing philosophies. For me, the mm. key is, is your values and then you, you look at how you're going to play and how you're going to develop the boys. So the values were so, so key. And that's where we got our success from because we made the boys believe in something that was really tangible, this this dream. And that enabled us to keep our better players from professional clubs. And then once we become a fully fed centre of excellence as it was then, I wouldn't say a lot changed, if I'm honest. It, it just, we're just going to more detail with things. Um, yeah. But in terms of how we play, a, a lot, a lot hasn't changed. We've grown and and we've grown as an academy because you get more staff, but we're still true to our values as a club because, you know, that that's so, so important. Um, but we, we we still like to, like most academies, you know, we want to dominate the ball, but we really want to be a, a high-press inside. But it's all based around our values, and I think that's what gets lost, really. If you haven't got your values, um, I don't think you'll ever really create anything special. No, definitely. And uh, just in regards to like your sort of apprenticeship before 
you know, getting into Wimbledon. Uh, I just wanted to delve a bit more into that because uh, there, there'll be coaches listening to it that, yeah, may have not played uh, per se, like, in the highest level, like, for example, like like me, I, I played I played up to youth level as well yeah. and then got, got released and whatnot. And uh, just, could you talk about that a bit more in terms of, like, that importance that you had to go through those sort of um, sacrifices in your personal life and, you know, you committed, you, you made a big decision there where you've left something that was uh, quite stable for you to commit to your um, commit to your passion. But with that, you were putting in the hours um, before getting such opportunities. Like, how important was that for your coaching development? Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it's so key. And when you haven't had a career and, you know, I'm sure, like yourself, I always thought I was going to be a footballer. You know, I was mm. I was doing really well as a as a youth. Well, especially when I was 14, 15, I was doing outstanding. So, in my head, I was going to be a player. And when you you get that taken away, and mine was partly due to injury, it's tough. And and I think it's tough anyway going into the football industry if you haven't had a career. But I, I honestly don't believe you know that that will identify how good you can be as a coach. The skill set is completely different. And mm. I know that I've had experiences away from football. So my many years working in a corporate business, um, the years having my own business and the pressures of that and the people skills that I've gained were absolutely huge in my coaching. And I'm not sure I would have gained some of those skills if I had been a professional footballer. You know, So I think it's really important to open yourselves up to all different kinds of learning and put, put the hours in. I still do that now. Um, you know, on my day off now, I meet up with a group of guys who are tennis coaches and he brings in mm. other coaches and we just sit there and we talk through stuff. And I think the more life experiences you have, I think the better coach you'll be because at the end of the day, you know, we can talk tactics, we can talk technical detail, but, for me, the true key of coaching is is how you make players tick. And you yeah. only do that if you've got people skills and you can build attachment to them. And, you you know, because every, every single player is different. There's always something different. And I think the people skills are absolutely massive. So I think putting in those hours, giving yourself different opportunities to see different kinds of learning with different sports are massive. You should always stick with what you believe in, I think. Um Definitely. And that's something I would say as well is, you know, if any of your listeners find yourself around people who have played the game, but they see things differently, I, you know, I don't see, um, they, shouldn't, they shouldn't doubt themselves because, you know, some of the, the things I've had the best outcomes from are things that people said, oh, don't do it because it's not of the norm in football. And, um, and I think if you've got your own beliefs, you've got to stick with them. But at the same time, open yourselves up to all different kinds of learning because you'll always pick something up, you know. You'll, mm. you'll, you'll always pick something up from those experiences, definitely. No, I can agree. Yeah, go on, go on. Just on, uh, then. Uh, just yeah, just on that, Mark. You know, you talk there about always, uh, always going to pick something up, and I think it's very important that you know you do have your own beliefs. But as you said, you know, be open to the fact that it might not yeah. be the only way of working. Um, and I think sometimes learning off others could actually further, further, I guess, clarify for yourself yeah. why you're doing what you're doing in the way that you are doing it. Um, on that, have you ever had, have you ever had any moments where you've maybe had something in your mind where you feel like this is how I'm going to do it? 
and I guess you maybe come across something or someone or witness uh, someone in work and you thought, actually, I'm not sure if I'm on the right track um, here. And how have you kind of dealt with that? Yeah, I think it happens to certain degrees all the time. You know, um, I haven't anything huge, if I'm honest, where it's completely changed, changed my mind. But I think you have, you know, little things that make you reassess. And I think if you don't reassess, you, you're going to be in trouble. So, you know, I'm quite an... Int- Although I'm, I'm a massive believer in... in empowering players and, and player-led. You know, at the academy, we try to produce self-managing athletes, so we, we go down very much the player-led approach. Um, but I'm also, I was also, you know, I'm quite intense. And if I look at our youth team coach now, Rob Tooby, who's, who's a young guy, he's got some wonderful methods where he's really relaxed in, in his coaching. Um, and, and I'll pick things up, you know, so he's 26 years of age, but I look at some of the things he's done in the past when he was coaching younger players and, and I'll pick things up from there because sometimes I think, oh, am I inhibiting the players because I can be quite intense and driven. Um, so I think you just pick things up all the time and, and the reflection process is so, so important. Um, but at the same time, I think it's really important you're you um, because if it works for you, like you said, there's, there's no one way, otherwise we'd all do the same thing. So I think it's important that you're you and you don't try and be someone else. But I, I can't think of one major thing, but there's there's been lots of things that make you make you maybe change slightly. Mm. Just you know, just looking at your role now a little bit, you know, lead professional development phase coach. For those that don't know, you know, you're, you're working with yeah. uh, you know, eighteen to maybe twenty three year olds. What would you say are some of the key ingredients that those that you've identified for yourself and observed within those players that really go on to make them successful in actually I guess securing a pro yeah. career not just the initial focus contract. for me the, big, the biggest thing is is focus um, any lad that I've had has, that's gone on and had success it's that just complete focus and it's the hardest thing to have I mean you know any player you've got in the building is going to have a certain degree of talent and obviously you're going to work on them continuously you know, technically and tactically. But the focus for me is the key. And and one of my biggest things is, you know, we spend so much time training the body to get these players to where we want, but we don't spend enough time training their brain, which is the most powerful thing. And again, I think it's so key because it's, it's the perception of focus. So you get these young lads coming and I think it's more difficult than ever, yes, to be honest, because there's so many distractions out there to take their focus away. And I see so many coaches get frustrated with young people and go, oh, they just haven't got the focus. It's not they haven't got it. They don't know how to gain it. I mean, you, you, you do see some exceptions that come in the building. You know, we've got a young lad in the moment and you can see it come from the background of his dad and what his dad's gone through. That He's a very, very focused individual. But I still believe you can educate anyone to have that focus. And that's, and that's the key because that's what they need because... You know, the, the journey they're going to go on isn't going to be smooth. And it's that constant focus to, to just go again, remember where they want to be, how they're going to get there. And, and that's the key. And I think that's our job as, coach, as coaches that we, we all need to, to work on even more is, is training their brain. Because, as I said, um, you know, you've probably heard people talk about the millennials and what they lack and they lack this and they lack that. They don't, they don't lack anything. They're just byproducts 
of what they've gone through as young people. And, we, and it's a very different world now. Everything comes very instantly to you. Um, so that, you know, they're in a world, if they want something, they can get it very, very quickly, generally. Now, the one thing they're not going to get very quickly is a football career. So everything they need to do in their football goes against everything they're probably doing in their general life, if that makes sense. Mm. Mm. And just on that then, you know, what, what would you say are some practical steps that coaches can take to maybe support players developing that so focus? When I, when I was doing the youth team, you know, we would talk about this this stuff. So we would just talk about life in general. So, you know, we'd, we'd, talk, we'd have discussions about, you know, if, if you want if you want to buy something, you can order it. It's there the next day. If you want food, you can order it. It's there. Everything is so accessible. And and then we would just talk around their football and talk about their targets and making them understand that this this isn't instantly accessible. So the way we would describe it to them, you know, you're standing at the bottom of a of a mountain and you want to get to the top of this mountain, but you need to understand the steps that you've got to take because you know, a lot of them just want to get there and they don't know what it looks like to get there. So it's that constant talking to them. And, and this is why it's so important. You know, you, you do your work on the training pitch, but you've got to do your work off the pitch as well because, you know, they, they it's not they don't want to do it or they people, you know, I've heard coaches go, oh, he lacks desire. They, they don't lack desire. They don't lack desire. What they lack is understanding the focus of what it takes every single day. And, and, and you, you just do through lots of conversations, you might, you know, you might sit down and watch videos, show good examples. You'll get people in to talk about their experience. So, in the past, I've always got people in from sports where there's no, there's very little gain um, in terms of money. You know, so we've had guys that, are, you know, I've had rowers come in um, who get up at five o'clock in the morning to row, and you know, the, there is no financial reward. They just, they're just doing a sport that they absolutely love. So. You get these people in and you show them what these people go through to, to get to the top of, of their game. And they do it just for a pure love of wanting to be a footballer. And um, uh, sorry, being a pure love of wanting to get to the top of their sport. And I think once you get into that, and I'm a big believer that if you get, you know, th these young lads need to know what they want to be a footballer as well. Because if their motivation is extrinsic motivation, it's not, it's not intrinsic. Again, they're always going to fall short, you know. So if they're doing it because of the money or whatever, then you know the, the level of players we're going to have are always going to fall short. In fact, I say level of player probably won't reach their full potential, sure. you know. Yeah, definitely. And just on that, then you know, you talked there about the types of motivation they're both extrinsic, intrinsic. What, yeah, would you do you think there's any there's any practical ways that you've maybe gone about? I guess. Uh, for me, this is where the player-led program comes in. So, so to give you an example, so all our training sessions are, are led by the players in terms of. So we set we set values for training. So we look at what our values are. So it's so important that basically we train as we play. So we have a saying we have to train as we play. So the players set on their values of what a, a, an intense training session looks like. So hardest working, great communicators, focused, um, respectful. So th then values are there. I refuse to drive those values as a training session. So we have a we have a process in training that the players go through where they completely drive those values. I'm not talking about technical detail or a little bit of tactical detail. For me, that's what I'm looking for 
is to add those little layers on. But in terms of the intensity of the session, that yeah. had to come from them. And um, have you? I don't know if you guys have heard of a guy called Mark Bennett. Yeah, I've. Yeah, so um, it's the one thing as a coach I've always thought, why do I have to talk about hard work in training? You know, these lads love playing football and sometimes you find yourself talking about things like hard work, focus, more than you do, you know, the technical, technical and technical side. So I've always, we've always, I've always done reflection and stuff like this, but I went on this course with um, Michael Hamilton, um, with, with Mark Bennett, and he yeah. talked about elite behaviours in training. And it was quite interesting. We were the only two football coaches there. The rest were rugby, um, basketball, hockey. And that probably tells you everything, to be honest. We were the only two football coaches yeah. there. Um, and the guy didn't come from a football background, but he didn't tell us at first where he'd come from. And it was quite fascinating because his approach was very holistic. And then when you found out yeah. actually what his background was, you know, it's what... He come from a background where basically if you don't have elite behaviours, you pay the ultimate price. Um, so it was, it was all around elite behaviours and now that there isn't enough hot reflection during training. So he come up with this, he's got this system basically where the players control their elite behaviours during training. And um, we come back and I kind of, with Mike, we talked about it and I've changed a few things I think that are relevant to football, but that's where we go with it really. So the players... So you talk about intrinsic motivation. So they've got to be living that every day, and this is the and that's the thing. I don't think any of it come from the coach. You've got to educate them so that these elite behaviours come for them every single day. And then, of course, as a coach, you've got to back them yourself. Um, you know, so it's just a process, really. Yeah, it's a mm. process. It's quite a clever um, thing that because it like words can sound a bit more powerful when it comes from their peers. Um, as opposed to the coach, because they, they may perceive the coach as, you know, being that, uh, like, sort of traditional disciplinarian all the time. So, like, when they kind of, uh, they are perceived to be setting the standard themselves is is a lot more effective, I guess. And, uh, and, uh, and I mean, it's a great, I mean, I'll give you a little bit more insight. Basically, it, evol- it evolves around kind of some conditions. So, once the players set the values, if they feel any of those values drop during the training, the players can stop the session at any point. And, it, and it's hard at first because young lads feel a bit uncomfortable doing that. But once you get it, so they can they can stop the session at any point and, you know, it, it might involve them coming in and having a quick chat or it might involve them just, you know, telling certain individuals. But that's, that's rule one. They can stop the session to raise the value. So when you start a session, you go, right, OK, lads, give me a minute of, of your very best and you don't start the session until the intensity is where you want it in terms of those values once it's running they've got the freedom to stop it and mm. and get the values back up the other thing is they can also individually they can point something out to an individual if he's not showing the behaviors that that they expect so they can point it out that player is not allowed to bite back like in a negative way so if i if i pointed out to you yes come on you're not You've got you're not recovering well enough. You've got to... that's it. That's what he does all the time, Mark. Okay, I'm going to bite your head off, Mark. <laughs> you told me that beforehand, Ben. <laughs> but, so I could point that out to you. As, as you've got to take it on the chin. You just got to get on with it. So that would be kind of one of the rules. And and then the other one is, if if people are showing real elite behaviours, so fantastic recovery runs, making running off the ball, there's lots of positive encouragement. Mm-hmm. And, and it sounds. 
But once the dads get into it, yeah. at first they were a little bit like, yeah, but we don't want to stop the session. I said, yeah, but the, the more you stop it and get the intensity where it needs to be, the less you actually end up stopping it. And once they bought into it, I mean, honestly, the intensity of the sessions went up by 30%. And, mm. and, and, then you, and that means everything you're doing then has a realism to it. And then it leaves you as a coach to start coaching the actual things you want to coach. You know, the technical detail, the tactical detail. And I've, I've tried it. At, my daughter plays grassroots. So, I, you know, I tried it with her side. And, and there it was unbelievable. I mean, it went up like 50%. And I've been doing a little bit of work with um, a team in Isha as well. Um, now and again and I've sort of shown it to the manager there and it's, it's a great way of them driving it because when it comes to when it matters on a, on a Saturday or a Sunday you want them to drive it you know mm. you want the players to drive it that's the whole point as a coach you know my ultimate goal is for me to be standing there and saying very little you know while you watch the players driving it And then, you know, you t- you, just to go further into that, then, you know, about some of the things you talked yeah. about, focus was the key thing that you kind of really touched on there and allowing the players to take more of a bit more of a, a ownership and accountability for quality and ultimately the intensity and level of sessions that I've uh, uh, performed. What would you say is one of the biggest challenges you've had in dealing with professional um... players in particular? If, if you get a player who hasn't come through our academy system, it's, it's more difficult um, because, you know, trying to make them sort of or get, it takes a while for them to settle in, um, if I'm honest. We, we, we haven't tend to have lots of players coming from other outside academies. So that, that, that can be a challenge. To be honest, um, yeah, is that because of the processes are so strong, I don't. It's not really the, the challenges. It's just really exciting. I don't. There hasn't been a challenge where you get frustrated because we have a, we have such a process that is so involving the players and the coach that it's it's, it's just it just grows really. Um, you know, so it it would start off with me planning the session. So every session that 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 we do, I want to get the absolute most out of every session. So even if it's a technical session, I want to make sure we get as many outcomes as we can out of that technical session. And then, you know, then when you go into the session and you've got the players reflecting during the session, which is all hot reflection. And then when you come out of it, we reflect again. It's kind of, you know, it's hard to put it into words, but it's not really a challenge. It's just, it's just what we do. Mm. You know, there, there, there's no real massive frustration there because it's just what we do. And then again, if, if you see a player struggling with it a little bit, then it's, it just goes back to having those individual conversations, explaining what we do and why we do it. Um, but I can give you an example. So after, after, every, after every session, we do what we call cold reflection. So we have... We have a minimum. We have standards in terms of training, so the players will reflect, and they will say, "Did we hit those values in training?" Um, so it's not about so much did they perform brilliantly technically. It's more about was the training session realistic, you know? So were the outcomes realistic? And it's based on those values I talked about earlier. 
And just just on that, then, Mark, what about if you know you've got your own perception, your own judgment of what's happened, but the players are okay. So this, so this is how that. it works. So how do you deal with the that? Players will score themselves either a one or a six. So it used to be one to six based on. So six would be yes, it was of the Wimbledon standard. One would be not of the Wimbledon standard. And we used to do one, two, three, four, five, six. Then we just thought, well, what's the point? It's either of the Wimbledon standard or it's not of the Wimbledon standard. So they would reflect and they would give me their score. I would reflect on their session and I would, I would give them the score. And... Do they have yeah. by justification so it, for the so score as well? On those, on those values and they, they would then speak to me and say, well, Robbo, we think it was a six because this, this, this and this. And they would tell me why they thought it deserved a six. If I scored them a one, I would tell them why. And then we would have this discussion around it because, as you said, their perception might be slightly different. But to be honest, we've got to the stage, Yaz, where, if anything, they're so hard on themselves. So, you know, I've had times when they've scored themselves a one and they might, and I might go, well, why have you scored yourselves a one? And they say, well, because we were a little bit slow in starting this and it took us two or three minutes to get going. And I would then go to them, but did you get going? And they'd go, well, yeah, we did. I said, why? Well, because we, we, got a hold, we got hold of each other and we said, this isn't good enough. I said, so exactly. I said, listen, the life isn't perfect. You're going to have dips. But what you're looking for is, do you notice those dips and do you change them? So for me, if you're recognising those dips really quickly and you're getting it back up to the levels you need to, then that's a six. So through these conversations, we, you know, that's where you can get their perception up to your, your level of perception. But the key is as well, though, yeah, I get them to reflect on me. So I'll, I'll give an example. One, after training once, we, we, we normally got a breakout room, but it wasn't free. So I had to do it in the canteen with the youth team. And a couple of the first team players were still eating. Hmm. So we're going through the process. And then it comes to them where the players feed me back, myself and my assistant, James. They give us feedback on the session. So our session would be based on where we focus, was the session developmental? Um, was it organised? So that there's, there's four key areas where they reflect on us. So these players are then talking to us about our session and they score us a one and six. And out the, <laughs> out the corner of my eye, I see one of the first team players and he's literally stopped eating. His jaw has just dropped. Like through the whole conversation, <laughs> mouth is just wide open. So... We, we've gone through the process and after he's just called me up, he's gone, right, like, my interview, right, they just, they just critiqued you on your session. I went, yeah. And he went, why? I said, because it's about the player. It's not about me. I want to know, I want to know, are they getting absolutely everything out of this session? And, I, and we had this long chat and he, I mean, he was 28, 29. So, you know, he'd obviously gone through what, how mm. he football education looked and he, I think he got it in the end but this is the problem I have I, I, th I think he looked at that as a weakness from me mm. and, and showing vulnerability I want to be the best coach I can possibly be so if I'm coaching my players and I don't know what they're thinking and, I, and if they're walking away going well I didn't benefit from that session or that didn't give me what it needed how can I be at work to the best of my ability so it's not, it's not a weakness. Me showing a, that vulnerability that I want to be the best I can be so they can be the best they can be, 
that just gains massive respect. So, and people worry about doing stuff like that because they think, well, yeah, but then you'll get the players ru running it. It doesn't work like that because they gain respect for you, massive respect for you. And then, and this is why I was saying to Ben earlier, this is why your values are so important. Mm. But what keeps, what keeps everything in line is your values. So although you've got this real holistic approach to development, which is a constructive process, at the same time, your values mean that things never get away from where they need to be. So if I got to the stage, you know, the players aren't going to start dictating everything because, because of our values, if that makes sense. But I, no coach has got all the answers. And if you don't know what the players are thinking, and, and, and also it gives you a chance to sometimes explain why you might do things. So, for example, you know, you, you guys would know sometimes when you're doing a heavy tactical session, players tend to switch off a little bit. So when we had our FA Youth Cup runs, you know, you would see sometimes a little drop in focus and it would give me a chance. Like players might come and go, oh, Robbo, we just felt sometimes the interventions were a little bit long. And it just gives me a chance to explain to them why, why? why that's necessary. And if once they leave me they, and they go into a first-team environment, they might be doing sessions where, you know, that happens a lot. So it also gives you a chance to explain to them why certain things happen and why they need to get used to that. But at the same time, I've had some nuggets come back from players that have been fantastic. You know, and they, they might go, oh, Rob, we felt we were flying, but you stopped the session there and we had that break and we felt we lost momentum. And then you look back and you go, no, they're right. I spoke for too long. I didn't need to go into all that detail there. The session was going well. So... You know, that, that's just the way, I, you know, I believe education is a constructive process. It's not, it's not, it's not a telling thing. It's, it's a constructive process. So um, mm. that's how I see it. Really. And I can imagine, I can imagine like <laughs> when you initially kind of introduced this sort of feedback method to the group, you kind of have to build that sort yeah. of um, trust and relationship with them because they would have probably been initially uncomfortable to really give their honest feedback and whatnot. And as they got to know you and got more comfortable with you, they're, they're a lot more honest uh, with it. Exactly. 100%, Ben. When I first did it, they didn't want to say anything. <laughs> I don't blame them. <laughs> I'm literally saying, come on, I want you to tell me what you felt worked really well and what didn't. And they, mm. and they, they found it really hard. But over time, then it become more, you know, they're not, they're not rude. They're not going to rob you. session was terrible. They, they don't talk like that. We're talking in terms of football and they will go, well, we found that really beneficial and, that blah 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 so it's and once they open up it's great but then what you're saying there Ben goes back to everything we say you know we talk about one of the hardest things for these lads is you know that they're going through what they're going through with young men uh, mm. and if you can if you can get them to open up in mm. all kinds of different aspects you've got so much more chance that the lad's going to mm. come and knock on your door on a Tuesday morning or a Monday morning and go, you know, Robbo, I'm, I've got a couple of issues here and I'm struggling. And you go, OK, and you can talk. So, mm. you know, you can't take the emotion out of learning. And that's, I think that's been a big thing with football. It's such a macho industry um, that when you talk like this, people look at you and, and go, but you can't take the emotion out of life. It's, it's, um, I mean, did you guys watch Harry's Heroes? Oh, no. It'll be on the watch list. It was basically, Harry, Harry Redknapp, you know, he brought back lots of the old Paul Merson and all these guys to play. The oh, yeah, I heard of it. You know, 
and you look at the emotion there, you've got grown men crying because, you know, of the pitfalls of football and the stuff they've got involved in, you know. Um, you can't take emotion out of life. It, 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 so it's, it's how you deal with those emotions, how you get players to open up. But, but it doesn't mean because you're dealing with emotion and you're opening yourself up to vulnerability that, that you haven't got a robust, resilient um, environment and culture. Because they, again, I'll go back to your values. They are your values. Hmm. You have these very strong values that you work to, but within that, for me, you have to have an environment where, where people can show emotion. Because if you want people to perform, they've got it, it, it's it's massive. And just on that, Mark, you know, you talked there about you know allowing players to maybe you know hold on to their emotion and you know recognize that that is a thing now. More so than I guess the foundation and youth development phase, professional phase. You ultimately your role as a coach is really to be a mentor of some sort, isn't it? Um, you know, allow them the opportunity to come and ask you questions and, I guess, share potentially intimate things with you as well. 100%. I mean, level. if you want to perform, the first thing everyone needs is clarity. You know, to perform any task to any level, you need clarity and understanding. So if, if you're in a fear-based environment where you don't feel like you can ask questions, you, you can't share any emotion... How are you going to ever gain that actual clarity that you want? You never, you know, you, I'm sure you guys have had it where someone nods and then deep down you know they don't, you know, they've just nodded because they think they should nod. Yeah. You know, so, and so for me, if, you know, you're doing a session and it and it takes a little bit longer because you, you re, and this is why I've said hot reflection during the session is so important to get that understanding, then it's so key because you can't perform anything without clarity. So you can't have a fear-based environment when you train. You've got to try and get rid of that fear-based environment. And um, and I do see completely my my role as a, as a mentor. That's how I see. It. I mean, we've been having a lot of chats lately because obviously there's been a lot of talk around mental health. And and we were talking, and I was saying for me the biggest problem is historically we sell football in such a bad way to young people. You know, so you get these. Hmm these players who have fallen into the pitfalls of gambling and, you know, alcohol and different things. And but we, we sell it to it so long. We, we talk about things like, a sh oh, it's a short career. It's only a short career, so you've got, to, you've got to do this and do that. It's not, you know, it's, for me, we need to sell it as just a fantastic part of your life, right? Because if you're thinking about retiring at 35, then... You're, you're struggling anyway in life. If, if you feel at 35, I'm going to do nothing else other than sit there looking at four walls, trying to replace that that incredible feeling I've got as a footballer, you're in trouble. So mm. I think we need to sell footballers. Listen, this is just a small part of your life. This is a very small part, a wonderful part. But when you finish playing, you've got so many other things. And this is why it's so important that we educate them properly so they're prepared for when football finishes. Because all these things gives them empowerment. And I don't believe that, you know, you look at someone like Vincent Company, who's clearly, you know, the stuff that he's been doing, so he's ready for life after football. And I, and I actually think it helps their football. You know, so if they, if they finish in training and they're going off in the afternoon and maybe they get something else, it helps their football because all they're doing is continually empowering themselves and making themselves more confident people. Yeah. What we do, we put them on like this ticking time bomb. Go, oh, you're a footballer. It's a short career. And for me, what it, what it just does, it just leads to bad decisions, probably mm. bad financial decisions. Um, 
because they feel that they've got to, they've only got this 10, 12 year window. It's not, it's, you know, it's, it's just, a, it's just a small part of what your, your life is. And when it stops, they're never going to replace that, that dopamine that they get from playing football and playing in front of the crowd. So they, they need to replace it with something yeah. purposeful. And this is, it's, this is the biggest problem is that, you know, you get players and they're not replacing that with anything purposeful. And I think, so my job as a mentor for that, I think is so, so important because, Definitely, I think something that you touched on there as well, you know, using that again, company as an example, saying you know, he's prepared for life after football. I think just having other things that you are looking, I guess, uh, forward to away from football, I think would just help you. I'm sure, you know, I'm, I can't speak from experience. I'm sure it would help those players probably appreciate what they're doing on a day to day even more and maybe take more pride in what they're doing and hopefully go towards that, you know, what you touched on earlier about those elite behaviors and, and developing that high performance mindset in that respect. Just and you know, just you talk there about being a mentor and you know, within your role, but you know, it'd just be interesting to know whether, you know, throughout your journey, you know, mainly as a coach, whether you've had any, uh, I guess, figures that have been, you know, in the form of a mentor um, or any, any major influence. I've certainly, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's, I wouldn't, I've had certain people that have influenced me. So when I was working uptown and when I was working for the music company, and I was, it was like a sales based role. I had, a, I had a fantastic guy there called Charlie Smith, who was a top, top salesman. And um, he introduced me into ways of... I must say, have you guys done your advance of all, advanced youth award? Uh, so they talk about attachment theory, don't yeah, they? I've done, yeah, I've done that. Is getting to know people, everything we've yeah, just been yeah. talking about, you know. Um, and and he, he talked about... So I used to have to go into pubs and... and bars and nightclubs and restaurants and I, my job was to get royalties so for a while my area was like South East London so I was going to Deptford, Peckham and that and, and I had to go and collect royalties and and it and, and it was I mean in terms of people skills it was an unbelievable job you know I was I was going into as you imagine some rough <laughs> but he taught me how to build attachment with people by looking for connections as soon as I walk into a pub straight away I'd be looking to see if I could find something that I could build an attachment, you know, so that they might have a, a record album up on the wall and, and straight away you go, well, that might be my in if I talk about him, you know, it might be an artist that I like and straight away, you know, because then fundamentally I'm trying to walk out of there with money. So he taught me a lot about how you can build attachment and how you, you need to listen to people and get them talking. Once you get them talking, so I, I learned loads of skills from him in, the nearest I've had to a mentor, I said, was was Tony Wilson um, when I went to when I joined Wimbledon and did those under nines because, you know, then I was just a really inexperienced coach with all these ideas that I wanted to try, and the, his approach to letting me do take those ideas was just fantastic. I mean, as I said, he never he never looked at me in a way that made me doubt myself. He might ask me some questions, but he kind of just, he was always like, go on then, where you go? And it was just unbelievable. Even my first session, I remember the first session I turned up and it was it was in the park next to the Corinthian Casuals ground. Mm. And I didn't know how much I was going to do. And I just turned up and he went, you know, just like, you looking forward to it? Said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He went, go on then, off you go. I went, well, I said, what, you want me to just do the whole thing? Yeah, go on, just go. And it was like, 
he was he was fantastic like that. He and he, as I said, he's done really well business as a manager. So again, when I talk about fear-based environments, there was there was no fear. The best example I can give you was these lads went. As I said, they they won 104 games on the successive games, no draws. They won 104 games, and we never talked about winning. It was always about the process, always about the processes and developing them as players. And I'm sorry, but winning doesn't matter, does it? No, no, don't get me wrong. Winning doesn't. They, matter, does they, it? but again, yeah, it's, they've got to want to win more than I have. Is that well? Was, hmm. Yeah, no. What, why, why I say that? Because you know, a lot of people uh, say that you know in the, would make the argument. You know, it's not about winning, but actually, oh, for, massive, for me personally, it's ma- listen, don't get me wrong. It's part of that it's, development. It's, in many ways, it's, it's, that's, that's the whole point of why we're doing what we're doing. So, but for me, it's about how they win. So, if if I'm constantly talking about winning and not talking about what winning looks like, look like, then then there's trouble. So. For me, the key, because they were young boys, it was talking about all the stuff that brings winning. Does that make sense? So, you know, mm. so we, we talked about the recovery runs, the hard work, all the off-the-ball stuff. And, and basically, all those things brought about winning. But you want those those lads to care about winning. Of course you do. I mean, 100%. So, as I, said, I think they got to the stage where they'd won about 70 games on the trot and they'd become really well-known. And we went down to play... I think it was Rushton Diamonds under 13s or under 14s. And um, the night before, I'd, I'd watched Athletic Bilbao play Man United and I'd watched the way they pressed. And um, so we turned up with the day. Now, bearing in mind, he was the manager. I coached him. And, I, and Michael was there with me, actually, because I just brought Michael in from Millwall. And, uh, and I said, I've just, I think we press in a different way. So this is like half an hour before the game. You know, we've won 70 games on the trot and I'm going... I've, I've just watched Bill Bauer, they press. Can we, can we press these games? <laughs> well, how are we going to do it? The game kept, I said, no, we can do it. And me and Mike got the players in a, I don't know, it was a, it was a 30 by 30 little box and we went through it. But what I'm saying is he didn't, you know, most people would just go, no, look, come on, we can do that next week it, and, and kill your enthusiasm. But he let us do it. So he let us run this little session on how we were going to press from the front. And... Um, and, and 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 I just well basically we were four 0 up within twenty minutes so um, and we went on a one six one but so one he let me do and it was a success but even if it wasn't a success he wouldn't have judged me um, mm. he, he, you know he might have after gone to me do you think that was the right time to do it and and, and in hindsight possibly it wasn't because it might have added confusion but that trust he gave in me is something that I've taken forward you know as when I'm trying to develop the coaches around me, you've got to let people, you know, ha- have a go and do their, and be themselves. And then, the, again, it goes back to the reflection process after. But you can't have a fear of them doing something wrong because you're worried about the session or whatever. You've got, you've got to give them that self-belief to, to do it. So he was, he was massive. Um, he was massive for me as a coach and giving me so much confidence to try things and also moving on. And then there's just been other people really that have just inspired me more than anything I mean um, Nigel Higgs who, who started the youth structure you know he was very clear on his values so that was key to me and then uh, have you guys ever met Alf Gerdestein? Uh, 
coach, yeah. So I've become, no, really, uh, good, yeah. coach, I've become really good friends with Alf and um, like I love his ideas, you know, the way he thinks of things. So he's he's been inspiring to me. And and in terms of inspiration, without name talking, I, I was lucky to spend um, a couple of days with Eddie Jones and he just, he, he, well, he come, Alf Gilderstein brought him down to Wimbledon. Um, so he brought him down. So again, this gives you an example. So he's a rugby coach, but Alf, he wanted to learn about transition. Yeah. So Alf was come, showed him some transition in football, some transition sessions. So Eddie come down to Wimbledon and he was really impressed with our culture and our environment and all the stuff we talk about, the values. So he actually invited me back to watch England train with Michael down at Penny Hill Park. And um, well, that was just, I mean, I it, was a, it was a different level. I've, I've never seen a session like it. I mean, they trained on a Thursday. They were playing on the Saturday. And they, as well as, I mean, there was not a second wasted in the whole, the session ran for about two hours. And there was not a second wasted. They had, a, I think, a 40-minute game or a 35-minute game. And he said to me and Mike, he said, we need to get above the intensity of what we're going to play at on Saturday. Hmm. And, and so basically they took any scrums out it was just constant. They'd also, there was, they predicted rain on the Saturday. So he had guys dipping the rugby balls in buckets of water. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> them in. And it was just that attention to detail and, and just everything around it was just, I mean, I come away from there, my head was just exploding with excitement. And, and the, the values, again, I mean, at the end of the session, Mike and I were standing a good 30, 40 yards away from the entrance back into the dressing room. And I promise you, every single player come over and shook hands with us, every single player. And these guys, you know, at the top, top of their game. And then we, we got invited to have lunch with them and, and watching Eddie Jones work, work, the, work the room, just sitting down with players, little nuggets here and there. It was, yeah, that, that was fascinating. That was fascinating. And just... Uh... As we're rounding up now, like, I wanted to kind of gauge from you, like you've you you sound very like enthusiastic and still got the energy after all these years. And uh, what keeps you motivated and inspired? I just just making a difference, really, Ben. I just you know, I just if I'm making a difference, um, then you know that that's what gets you up to the thought of getting up thinking that you can make a difference to someone, someone's life. It's just, I mean, it's the greatest job in the world. Um, mm. And, you know, and when you, and I think when you, if you don't feel like that, you shouldn't be doing it. Um, so, you know, it's taken a long time to, to get there with coaching and a lot of hard work, but, you know, it's, someone said to me, oh, you know, what, what do you not like about coaching? And there's nothing not to like, because even, even the testing days, if if you've if you've got in your head that everything's a constructive process, even the most testing days, you, if you reflect properly, you realise it's just part of the process, and and you go again. So, you know, it's just that feeling of getting up and making a difference to people, really. Um, and I think if you don't feel like that, you've got to question yourself as a mm. coach. You know, I think you give yourself, you give everything to the players, basically. You know, and I think the biggest quality you can have as a coach is to be selfless. If you're thinking about yourself all the time, then you know you have to question whether it's the job for you. 
you know, I could, I could get, I could get sacked mm. from Wimbledon tomorrow, and I, I would, you know, I would go back and if I couldn't get a job back in professional football, I'd go back and coach in grassroots because it's just what I want to do. I just love, I love coaching and mm. I love trying to make an impact on people. So, you know, I'm, I'm at a bit of a crossroads now where I'm, I'm kind of in with the, I'm with the first team. And I've set up this loans department, which I'm using skill sets that I hadn't used before, which, you know, is good, but I'm not doing as much coaching. So, you know, this is part of my journey now and I've got to deal with that because I love coaching so much. And even though I'm with the first team on match days and, you know, they mic me up and I feed information down on a day-to-day basis, I'm actually not coaching anywhere near like I did before. So, you know, even though I've been doing it a long time, I've got to realise that's part of my journey. Um you know, and it's, I could get, I could, you know, it's it's quite frustrating for me if I'm honest, because it's what I love doing, but it's part of my my journey at the moment, and I've got. And just on that, you know, were two words that really kind of jump out at me, and obviously you use one of them there in self in terms of selfless, but yeah. the one that really keeps ringing for me is passion. It's passion, you know, and you know, just on that, you know, those are two, I guess, excellent qualities that any coach. And I think I think everyone would agree any coach should really have have within their armory. Um, but on that, what would you say is one of your biggest bugbears when it comes um, to coaching? Fixed mindsets. I would say um, there's, you know, I think there's two people really. Yeah, there's, there's 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 I think there's people who love being in football, and there's people who love football, and I think there's a massive difference. If you actually love like you love football, as I said, you're, you're always coach and you'll always want to educate no matter what level it is. But I think there's people who just love being in football uh, to, to, to talk yeah. about the past and talk about and relive stories. And you know what I'm saying? And, and, mm. and there's, I, I think there's an awful lot of nonsense goes on in football, you know, where, they, and I just have to question what their role is in terms of coaching and, and educating players. Because I see an awful lot of storytelling. And if you want to come up with something different, you know, you, it's like, well, now why do you need to do that? Why would you want to do that? Um, and so that's been the biggest bugbear on my journey, going through of people saying, well, why, why? they make you feel like you're trying to reinvent the wheel. And you're not, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You're just trying to come up with methods to get the very, very best out of your players. And um, so mindsets have been a constant frustration. And I can't lie, I've struggled with that at times um, because you said to me about mentors, it's, it would have been nice to have a mentor, I think, because where I come from as a start in the academy, I've, I've always brought younger people through, you mm. know, I wanted to see them develop. So Michael, for example, you spoke to his academy manager, you know, Mike come to me, he was doing, he was at Millwall working with the I think, under 11s, under 12s. Now we were, we were in the conference South then. And um, I spent three hours talking to Mike because I saw something fantastic in him and I, I wanted him to come over. So again, he took a big leap there. He, he was very well thought of at Millwall and he's come over from Millwall to come with me to set up this grassroots setup, you know, um, and help me with the youth team. But, Within that, it's always been like that. Uh, so I can't lie. It would have been nice to have someone a bit older than me who I could have shared some frustration with because there's been times when I've got frustration, frustrated with those fixed mindsets. And it's not about opinion. I haven't got a problem. But 
it's people mm. unwilling to sit down and listen why you do things. Um, mm. You know, because maybe they did have a career and they know best because they had a career. Well, you might have had a career, but, you know, we're talking about developing people and playing now. It's completely different skill sets. That's that's my, my biggest yeah. mindset. Touching on that, then you know, you said the idea of maybe you having a mentor, you know, it'd be really interesting to find out. Then, you know, now with a bit of experience, you know, a bit of a on, on your head, um, you know, life experience as well as you know, industry, industry experience. If you had an opportunity to go and I guess talk to Mark Robinson when you started coaching and be that that mentor yeah. or that older head that you maybe wish you would have had. Messages well, that you'd be giving the, him now. The biggest message is if you know, so we've talked a lot about opening yourselves up to learning, and I think that's that's so so key. My dad always used to say to me, You've got two ears and, and one mouth for a reason, so do twice as much listening as you do speaking. So I think that's that's really key. But I would say, you know, if you're a coach out there and you see things differently, don't think you're wrong, you know, especially if you're, you're younger or you know, maybe you didn't have a career and you see things in a different way, don't doubt yourself because you might find yourself in a room with people who have had careers. You know, don't doubt yourself. Um, because I had that when I started doing my badges. You know, you go into a room, everyone would know each other because they maybe played with each other and, and they don't know you because you didn't have that career. That changed over time, obviously, but initially it was very much like that. And... You know, and, and you feel like you had to prove yourself. And unfortunately, I, you know, I did. I, once you started coaching and put on sessions, you gained the respect of the people around you. But there were times when I started where, you know, I would doubt where I'd see something very differently in terms of how you would develop someone. And, you know, there would be an element of self-doubt there. Um, but now you see people, you know, like Eddie Jones, the Cowley brothers, um, mm. Lee Johnson at... Um, Bristol City, you see how they talk about developing people and you go, no, you know, so that would be the biggest thing I'd say. If you see something differently, don't doubt yourself. Yes, open yourself up to different learning. Yes, always look to pick things up. But if you see it, then just do it. If you see something completely differently, then you just do it because you can't fail. There only ever be outcomes. If, 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 if at the end of it, you've done it and you didn't quite get the results you were hoping for, then you'll just reflect and that goes back to the reflection process and then you look and go well why could it be better next time blah 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 but but never ever doubt yourself just just go with it you've got to go with it uh, i'll give you an example um yeah so one so i sent you the videos of the player leg games you know when we, they, the players went without coaches i don't know if you had a chance again yeah. that was all part of producing these empowered young men self-managing athletes player leg so I decided with youth games that I was going to send the lads without any coaching staff. They'd just go with a few oh. And um, so, we, so it was all part of a process. And I had to be careful that it wasn't disrespectful to the opposition. So I rung, you know, once the lads picked what game, um, I rung the manager and said, listen, please, this is part of the process. And the, the manager was fantastic. He understood it. But I got a lot of negative input from that for you know even from guys i really respect and they were like no i think you should go even if you go and stand behind a tree <laughs> i'm like no i want them i want them to do this on their own i want them to spit i want them to plan everything and they you know 
they give me lots of reasons not to do it, but I did it, and it was one of the. It's still, it, I believe, it's one of the best things. Not for me, for players. The outcomes were fantastic, absolutely mm. fantastic. And you know, and it ended up. It, it got presented at, on the Advanced Youth Award as part of a social psychological program, um, and the outcomes I got from it was incredible. I mean, so the outcomes were so good. We, at the start of the season, we'd, we'd only won one of our first nine games. And the, the, next, the tenth game was the player-led game. So they took the player-led game. They drew after being 2-0 down. They changed formation with 25 minutes to go and scored two late goals. So then, obviously, we come back and talked about it. They, they went on to lose, I think, two of their next 30 games after that game. Uh, oh. The second game they picked... Because I said, well, you pick the next game. It was a must-win game. Because it's such a bad start to the season, they had to win this game to finish in the top half to go into the, the, the top half of the next league, basically. To go in the, the, um, and they come to me and said, Robbo, we, we want to pick this as our game. I said, really? Because it's, you know, it's a pressured situation and we want to see how we react under this pressure. And that, you know, so, and that gives an example. I could have quite easily not done it because... I did get a lot of negative feedback, and so I, you know, that got. But if you have these ideas, or you see, you've got to just just run, run with it. Hmm. It's like a, it's quite interesting because like you you've done it again, and it's that it's quite it's echoing that like selflessness that you need to have as a coach, and um, from like what I've gauged from this whole conversation that we've had, like a lot of um, the sort of underpinning of the of the values and the actions that you speak of mm. comes from the power of reflection and like um that i don't think that's a, a a skill that is per se taught enough to coaches let alone players um to be doing enough and uh, like it's the thing that i feel kind of underpins the experience that we we all have like there's no point there's no point going um 10 12 years in the game without having an effective reflection skill. And I, I just feel like it's something that needs to be encouraged a lot more within football because it's done in different sports as well. I, I, totally. And, I, and when I talk about this stuff, then I don't need to think that I, I have the same emotions. So when, when the lads went on the player leg game, I don't need to think that I was all chilled, sitting at home. Of course not. <laughs> I, I, I hated it. I hated it. I went... I Waiting went, eagerly by the phone. Well, I went down the gym. I, I, <laughs> I kind of just thought, how can I get my mind away from the game? So, you know, I have the same emotions, but you just got to keep looking at the bigger picture. I absolutely hated every minute of it not being there. But, mm. you know, so, but there are, you've got to reflect. And, and I see it. I, I don't know if you guys see it. I see it even in, you know, at first team level, when, you know, you see managers interviewed after. And if you don't reflect on the key things to why you lost the game, you know, there's so much emphasis on decisions now and stuff like that. And it's like, come on, fellas, you know, there's, you've got to be looking at the other key areas. And um, I think it's huge, you know, reflect before, reflect during, reflect after. And it's, it's got to be constant, absolutely mm. constant. Brilliant. And, you know, just on, just on that, Mark, you know, you, you talked about your journey. We've been really explored how you've gone from not working in football to working in football to building up the academy and now obviously you know you've had a range of roles with, with, from the academy manager to the professional development phase you know 18s coach and now leading professional development phase and 
even uh, you know setting up the loans department, as you touched on, and even having a bit of a, a bit of a foot in the door with the first team. Range of different roles, loads of different experience. You know, you talk a lot about your passion and your love for the game, and more importantly, your love for player development. What is next for you, though? What's next in What's the next step for you? You know, obviously, you've got a bit of a bit of foot, uh, foot in the door in the first team football environment. Is that something you want to pursue, or you have your mind fir- firmly set on having a role still in player or youth development? Yeah, I mean, in particular, you know, I'm, I'm, it's great being. Out with the first team now. Um, I'm I'm not completely sure where. Well, I, I'm kind of sure where I want to go next. The, the key for me is is that I'm stimulated. If I'm honest, um, so you know, my next step will be quite important for me. As in, you know, do I do I want to have a go at first team management myself and 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 put the ideas in place that I believe in and the you know. Um, do I feel that I can have a big enough influence in what I'm doing now? You know, I've got a great... What I would say to that, Mark, if that's something that you're looking to go down, you might have to have another chat with your wife about setting up another business because you could be unemployed within <laughs> exactly. 12 months. Exactly. So, you, you know, so it's, it's things, obviously, you think about. You know, would I regret if I didn't ever, ever have a go? Would I regret it? And I, you don't ever want to have regrets. And But then also, you've, you've got to be... You've got to look and go. But is my strength, does it lie elsewhere? You know, is my strength in, in development? But then it depends how you look at things. I mean, should players ever stop developing? You know, when I went to, I went to Brentford and um, yeah. I spent the day there and their first team is very much run like a, an extension of the academy. You know, all the players have got, um, PD, you know, player development targets. Um, mm. You know, so... Even if they're 28, 29, they're still to get better. So it depends how you look at things. I mean, the key is I, I need to feel stimulated uh, when I get up in the morning and knowing that I'm making a difference. Um, and I, I wouldn't want to fall into the trap of thinking, oh, I have to have a go at first team manager. I've got to make sure that, that it's something that I can do and I know I can do. And, you know, so, uh, and I think that's the case with football a lot. I mean, you see, I don't want to go off track, but you, I see so many young coaches are fantastic at developing young players. We've got a fellow at Wimbledon now, um, Jack Matthews, and he, he's incredible. He runs our, our, our sort of nines to twelves. And I look at him and I'm going, this, I, you almost look and go, well, this is, this is what you were made to do. You know, I don't know what his aspirations are moving forward, but he's, he, you look at this is what he's made to do. And I think, again, it's something football gets wrong where, you know, the money is looked at the top end of the game. Wrong mm. game. Well, the value this, this young man's having on these young players is incredible. So, you know, he should be, he should get paid for me as much as someone who's doing the youth team or the under 22. Um, and it's something else that I, I believe we get, we get wrong in football. So I haven't, I haven't got the answer. There's, there's, there's certainly part of me that would love to have a go um, at first team management. Um, in terms of what I'm doing now, you know, it, as I said, um, it's it's only a year in, so I've got to understand that's part of my learning pathway. And um, but as, you know, and I need, to, but at the same time, I do need, you know, I've thought about the club. Everything I've done has been about the club for the last 15 years. So you now I'm getting to the age where I do need to think about myself a little bit and make sure that you know I'm fully stimulated in what I'm doing. Yeah. And just, you know, just on the final note, you know, 
it would be really great just to know, you know, if he had three seconds now, I guess to kind of package away one golden nugget for some of our listeners, uh, kind of take away maybe applying their day to day and their coaching in, I guess, practice. Their coaching what practice. Would that be? Uh, um, or, yeah. Yeah. Or just along their I journeys, think, to be fair. If we go back to the same thing, Ben, is just be true to you, yourself. Um, and, you know, hopefully talking about values, that, that means something to them because I think if you work within values, and, and have strong values that, that they're the foundation to everything you do. And you've got to, you've got to carry those yourself. There's no point saying we've got these strong values and then you turn up 10 minutes late for training yourself. So, you know, working within those values, you have to be yourself, believe in yourself as well as, you know, opening your journey up to all different kinds of experiences in and out of football. Um, that, that's what I'd say as a person in terms of, if you were talking about training sessions, I would say you just look at your sessions and make sure they got realism to them. That would be, for me, that, that would be absolutely key. We're talking about sessions is make sure they've got realism and who's driving that realism. Is it you or the players? Um, and I think you look, need to get to a place where the players are driving the realism and you're there to add the detail, you know, and, and make sure there's clarity from the players on that detail. Well, there you have it, guys. It's another edition of the Coaches Network Insight Series, where we sit down with experienced individuals across the multiple disciplines within the coaching world, hoping to explore their journeys and key insights in order to package away some golden nuggets that you can apply to help you reach your full potential. I've no doubt that you've enjoyed today's episode as much as we have, but I just want to say thanks again for tuning in. The support is much appreciated. Please do get in touch with us and today's guests. Let us know where you're listening from to share your thoughts, views and key takeaways from today's show, along with any suggestions you may have for guests or future topics on the show that you'd like to hear discussed. Ultimately, guys, the show is about yourselves. The content is for you and we just want to continue to create that great content. On that note, get in touch with us on Instagram at The Coaches Network and on Twitter at The Coaches Net. And if you want to touch base with Coach Ben, he's available on Instagram and Twitter at FocusBXN. Lastly, guys, keep an eye on our socials for the latest updates and announcements for upcoming guests and discussion topics with the panel. And until next time, guys, take care. The Coaches Network, bringing the game together. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. <laughs>